It's a great pleasure to have you here for another SFC Europe podcast. Our goal to uh, hear more about what God is doing across SFC Europe, to investigate a few topics, and we're going to have a great time today hearing from Curtis Denton. Thanks for joining us. We would love to hear your feedback. We would love for you to subscribe on whatever service you use and touch base with us at sfceurope.org. Today with uh, Curtis Denton on the SFC Europe podcast and Curtis and I are going to be talking about uh, life and ministry together in working with university students. We're excited to uh, have you listening today and we look forward to uh, having an interesting conversation about ministry university students. So Curtis, I want to uh, thank you for coming on. Thanks for, uh, you know, you're welcome. Pleasure. And, uh, I want to start by helping, uh, you know, one of our goals at making this podcast is for people to get a chance to know some of the other SFC people if they haven't met them. So could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, maybe where you grew up, uh, how you came to Christ and, uh, maybe a little bit, uh, more of your story and, I'll jump in if I need any questions. Sure. Well, um, I grew up in America and in the state of Arkansas, which if you're not from America, you probably don't know where that is. Even if you are from America, you may not know where that is. Right. Uh, it's not one of the famous states, uh, California or New York or anything fun like that. Um, small town. I grew up in uh, my, the town where I live was about 2,500 people. So everybody knew everybody. and um, life was good. Life was normal. Uh, I grew up in church and in the Assemblies of God, uh, Pentecostal church and got involved, uh, with church activities from the time I was, I think 12 or 13. Uh, I started playing, um, playing bass guitar with our church choir and with our church music group. And I was very involved in my youth group the years that I was there. So, um, grew up in church, never really had a rebellious period where I walked away from the Lord and was always involved, excited to be involved um, in ministry as much as I could. And then when I was uh, about 12 or 13 years old, I guess, I heard a missionary speaking uh, that was going somewhere and I thought, well, that sounds like a neat thing to do. And so then fast forward a few years, my wife Amy and I met when we were still in high school. And uh, we got married when we were 19, so we were just, um, I had just finished um, a few months before. I finished in May, and then we got married in December of high school, for high school. Amy was a year ahead of me, so she had already done a year of university. And um, so then we started our, our life together, also in ministry. We were working with uh, an international uh, Bible study group that was on the campus where we were attending. And... Absolutely love that. We would drive the van and go pick up students and bring them back to the house of this couple that was leading the Bible study. Um, we would speak sometimes, take field trips or take um, uh, excursions and things with them. And so we just really fell in love with student ministry even then while we were still students ourselves. And it wasn't an official organized group or anything. It was just this older couple that he was a professor. Uh, at the university and just absolutely loved the international students. And so that's how we first got uh, introduced really to student ministry. And so then during those first few years is when we felt uh, called into missions 
into ministry, but specifically missions to go outside of America. And so after Amy finished her studies at university, Arkansas State University, uh, then I went to Bible school or seminary and got my uh, Bible degree in, in missions specifically. And then we, while we were there, my last year, uh, we're, we're praying about, Lord, where do you want us to go? What should we do now? I'm about to finish my studies, and so where should we go? I think that's a pretty common thing for anybody uh, coming out of university is, what do I do now? <laughs> where do I go? Um, and the Lord just really, uh, we would even say in a miraculous way, and a very special way to be sure, opened the doors for us to go to Rome, Italy. Uh, to help another missionary that was there. And Rome, being one of the capital cities of Europe, is full of universities and full of young people and university students. And so while we were there, we started a young adults group. Not all students. Some were students, but it was also others that were working. Some had finished university already. Some never started university, uh, but young adults. And it was while we were there that we got connected with the Students for Christ Network in Europe and have been a part of it ever since. Um, we stayed in Rome for about two and a half years, a little less than three years. And then we moved to our current city of Padova, Italy, where we are now, and um, have been doing student ministry the whole time. And so that's, uh, in a nutshell, where, where I came from and how I wound up in student ministry. Okay. What year did you guys go to Rome the first time? We arrived in the spring of 2001. 2001. So and you've been in this year since what year? Since 2005? 2005, we arrived in Padova. Okay. okay. So we did have, between our time in Rome and Padova, we went back to America. Um, we had to be fully appointed and fully funded mm-hmm. from our missions organization. But um, so there was a, a year and a half, maybe two year um not really break because we knew we were coming back to Italy the whole time, but we had to go take care of that. Uh, our first daughter was born also during that time. And so um, we also stayed a little bit longer. So to, to be with family and learn how to be parents during that time as well. Right. Yeah. And so, and you have three girls um, yep. share their names with people. <laughs> so they know who they are. The, we have three, three daughters. They're Ariana, who's 16. Isabella is 14, and Nicoletta is uh, 12. And Ariana was born in the States on that, on that time, that furlough uh, between yeah. Rome and Italy. And Isabella and Nicoletta were both born here in Italy. Okay. And you guys have been married 25 years now, is that right? Last December was 25 years, yep. Awesome. Congratulations. That's super cool. Um, so what was maybe the biggest... Uh, change you experienced as a family moving from the States to Italy? What is like, what have been like the biggest things that have been difficult or different for you? Well, in, in the beginning, um, because Rome is a very, very different city than where we live now. Um, And so in the first few years that we were in Rome, um, I again, grew up in a very small town, um, and then went to Bible school. And so my worldview, my world experience was very limited and very small at that point. And so I tell people, for me, the biggest change, the biggest, I don't know, even difficulty, but um, shock of things 
was moving from growing up in a town of 2,500 people, moving to Rome, that's a city of 6 million people, maybe more now, but at the time it was around 6 million people. Um, and in fact, my whole state was only around 2 million people. So this one city had three times the entire population of my whole state. Uh, I'd never ridden the subway before. I'd never ridden the public bus before. Um, I, you know, besides the language and the culture differences and the food differences and things like that, the, the shock of moving from small town America to huge international city, um, that was pretty interesting. Getting used to the, you know, somebody may be coming from a large city in America, um, you know, Seattle or New York or Los Angeles, for them, they probably wouldn't have experienced that. But for me, coming from where I did, that was a huge adjustment for yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, and then, and so that was my our initial my initial difficulty, and not even difficulty. It's not that I struggled with it. It was just so different than any reality I had ever known that I had to learn learn how to to exist and to live in a place that that, that was that big. Yeah, it's a challenge for sure. Difference. Yeah. So, could you describe what is ministry like for you guys right now in Padova? What's going on? What sort of things are you involved in? What does university ministry look like for you guys right now? Well, Padova is a um, a university town. Uh, like there are there are many scattered across Europe. Of course, um, we have uh, the the city population is around two hundred fifty thousand. And the university uh, enrollment is over 60,000. And so it's a large portion of our city is, is the university. Um, of course, not all of those university students are residents here. But as you can imagine, a large part of the economy, you know, the, the housing, the restaurants and things like that. So, so Padova is definitely a university city. And we work now with uh, the local Italian church. And so most of our ministry is based in and around uh, our local congregation here. And in, in our situation, the youth group is considered from ages 16 to about 40. Uh, so that's a very large youth group, at least again, from my, from my background, from where I came from, that was a very large age range for youth group. But as you can tell, university fits within that, um, right in the middle, actually, of that age range. So our ministry is a combination of university ministry and youth ministry, because sometimes we get together with students that are in high school still, you know, maybe 15, 16 years old, um, up to usually here, 19 is the normal age to finish high school. Uh, and so sometimes we'll, we'll be with high school students, and that's part of our ministry, or sometimes we're even all the way up to doctoral students. Um, there's a young man that just finished his doctorate, and he was. We did a lot of things with him as well, and so that makes it give some interesting challenges yeah. because you can uh, minister and talk to a 17 year old high school student the same way that you would a 28 year old doctoral student. But yet for us, that's all inside of our sphere of of ministry uh, in the youth group and in the university group, um, and so again, we do everything. Uh, most everything connected directly with our church. And so we try to integrate specifically things towards university students into the programs that are already going on at the church. Um, and so we don't have any, any um, group or activity that we do right now 
that's not connected with the church. Okay. Uh, what's your relationship been like with the local church? How have they accepted you? And and let's talk about the one you, you're a part of right now. Uh, I know you guys were part of another our, church too. Sure. Well, our, our local church here, um, there have been ups and downs. We've been here since 2005. And so it's 15 years now that we, this has been our main um, ministry uh, outlet or main ministry platform, I guess, however you want to put that. And so when we first came, uh, we were coming from working with a, um, with, uh, well, we haven't been, okay, let me back up. I haven't been working with this church since 2005. We've been in the city, but we've been working with this national church, Italian church since 2010. Sorry, I got a little confused there. So we've been in our city since 2005, but we've been working with this church since 2010. So 10 years now that we've been with them. Um, and it's has been some ups and downs. In the beginning, they didn't know what to think of us because we were Americans. Our Italian language ability was very low and very poor when we first um, started working with the national church. And so even just basic communication was difficult and stressful, at least for us anyways. Um, and so they, we continued doing things and that we had been working previously with an international church. And so they allowed us to pretty much continue the way things were. But after they saw for a couple of years, uh, two or three years maybe, that we were going to stick around and that we weren't just visiting, it wasn't just a passing thing for them, um, then they started asking us to, um, um, to assimilate or to, to basically to do things the way they wanted us to do things. They said, well, if you're going to be here, then we want you to do things this way. Uh, we actually were told at one point, uh, you can't invite students to do this activity anymore. Um, it, it's students from the Italian church. They said, if you want to do things with the international church, we have no say over that. But as far as the, the Italian students, we don't want you to invite them to these activities anymore. Um, and so at that point, we, that was one of the down points, yeah. <laughs> to be sure. Um, we had to make the decision, well, do we, do we stick with this? Do we stay here at this church that's now trying to control or direct what we feel our vision and our ministry is? Or do we, you know, do we submit to them or do we do our own thing and not worry about them? And we chose the, the submission route. And so we said, okay, if this is what you want, then this is what we'll do. We'll, we'll do things the way you want. And that was a very, very difficult period for us and uh, definitely one of the down times. But through that, the Lord opened up some other ministries that we had never done before, but that were very um, accepted and acceptable to our local church. And so that, and honestly, in the end, became more efficient. It was or more um, successful, or I, I, I don't know how to say that, but um, it became more productive anyway than what we were doing before anyway. So we saw that now looking back, of course, we see that as the Lord was directing us and um, maybe, maybe pruning, I guess, might be a good way, cutting off some things that we needed to get rid of, but then allowing bigger, richer, fuller growth to happen as well. And so that looking back now is encouraging. At the moment, it was devastating. Um, and so then after that period, 
things content got better again because we showed that we were going to be submissive to them and not rebellious. Uh, um, and then our church changed pastors. Um, our former pastor, the one that asked that, he retired. Um, and so our church got a new younger pastor. And he was coming in from another part of Italy, and he had no idea who we were, what we were doing here. Um, and so then we almost had to start over again from the beginning to build up trust and build up confidence with him because he didn't know why we were here. He didn't know what we were trying to do. He wasn't familiar with student ministry. Um, and so we continued doing the things that we've done before. And thank, and that too has been, you know, he's, he's not told us to stop anything, but he said, you know, make sure he wants to be included and know what we're doing. And so we've been respectful of that. But because of that, you know, it, it's not easy submitting to and allowing someone else to direct and tell you what to do. You know, we're um, fully appointed missionaries from a large missions organization. And so in some ways we could think, well, we're, we should be the experts here. We should know, we should know what we're doing and these people don't know what they're doing. So to step back and say, well, and what we chose to do is we say, well, they're Italians. And so they understand the Italian culture much better than we do. We want to work with the national church, the local church. Um, and so if this is what they want, it's not against anything that we want to do. Maybe it's a little slower. That's often the case. Is it slower than we want to go? Um, but now, after several years of this new pastor, I think four or five years that he's been here now, um, we are building up trust and confidence with him. And he's allowing us a little bit more um, slack on things. He is seeing the results because I think that that's a big thing is that um, they often have been afraid of new, um, I don't know afraid, but hesitant of new or different ministries. But we've been here long enough and consistently enough that now fruits are being seen. And, and in fact, um, one thing that's very encouraging for us is that there you know, we, uh, like I said before, have, have in, in addition to other youth ministry, try to specifically focus on university students as best as we can. Um, and while we were, we just went back to America for a year. And so while we were gone, this pastor put together a youth leadership team, a youth council, I guess. They're not youth pastors or I, I don't know how, a youth council um, youth sponsors, I suppose, is what we would say in America anyways. And every single one of the people on this committee are people that we have mentored and discipled over the last six or eight years. Wow. And so the pastor, I, I think, I don't think that that has escaped his attention, is that all of his youth leaders are people that we have devoted time and energy and prayer into. Um, and of course, there were others that we also have been mentoring and working with. But everyone makes their own choice. But the fact that his entire youth leadership team are all people that we have mentored over the last eight or 10 years, um, he's finally, he's seeing the fruit of the way that we do things. And so, so it's, we're now going into another upswing in things where yeah. the pastor trusts us. Yeah. He, he sees the fruit of what we're doing. And so I, we're believing that we're, we're in another upswing now. Um, was there a reason that you could point to and say, we don't want to be a, a parachurch organization. We want to work with the local church. What was the, 
the reason behind that to begin with? I'm just wondering well, if you've ever thought that, that through. Yeah, that was, was a very intentional decision for us. Um, okay. Because the Students for Christ network across Europe, there's all kinds of models. There's sure. those that are fully integrated with the national church. There's those that are um, associated and have good relations with the national church, but not officially. Then there's the parachurch model. So there's all sorts of uh, Students for Christ models across Europe. And so we were weighing those things out because by that point, um, we had been in the SFC network for several years and had seen the various models. And so when we were making this decision to go to start working with the national church, that would definitely was an intentional decision that was made by us in our thoughts. Uh, and again, I've, I've, this is not to say anybody else is wrong or right, but for us, our, our thoughts was if we had started a parachurch organization, then it would have been Amy and I, my wife and I against the whole country, just the two of us building something completely unsupported and unrelated to anything else. And Italy is uh, geographically, I don't know square kilometers how big it is, but it's very long and very different from north to south. You know, the northern culture is very different than the southern culture. I think a lot of countries in Europe have that. Even as small as Belgium is, they have a very big cultural divide you know, between north and south as well. Um, but Italy, you know, it's, uh, it's very long. And so we thought if we start a parachurch individual group here, it's just the two of us working on our own, um, you know, having a rowboat out in the middle of the ocean. And we could do, we in some ways could have possibly been more effective in certain things because we wouldn't have had to submit to and cut back our ministries and submit to other people and, and cut out things that we wanted to do, add things we didn't want to do. We wouldn't have had to do any of that. We would have been able to focus specifically on just what we wanted. But our long-term desire, and that's what it comes down to for us, is long-term goals, is that we would like to see student ministry, not just one or two uh, groups in the country, but we would like to see it all across the country. Yeah. And if our, our thinking was, if we could stay with the national church, despite the, the difficulties and the frustration sometime, but plant seeds of student ministry inside the national church that's already established, that already exists. It's the, uh, I believe, the, the largest Pentecostal church in Europe. Uh, we have, um, well, in Western Europe, I, I think in the East there may be some larger ones, but we have around 1,200 churches nationwide. Um, and so our, our thought, just doing simple math, is that if we could have 1,200 groups wouldn't that be so much better than having one group? Um, Obviously not all of those places are in university towns. Not everybody's Mm -hmm. going to be interested in university. So, you know, it doesn't exactly work out like that. But, um, you know, in in the, the, the verse that Jesus said, you know, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, you can't reap a harvest. That's kind of my paraphrase of it. And so that's kind of how we saw it is that sometimes we felt like our, our planting and, and the seeds and the things we were doing were just falling on the ground and dying, but yet we just are trusting and believing that planted in the right place, that then they'll grow back and produce a lot more fruit than yeah. what would have been possible had we remained on our own. 
Um, and so that was our thinking is that we wanted to plant student ministry inside the national, the Italian national church mm-hmm. so that it could grow. And even beyond when we're here, because we're probably not going to be here forever you know, until Jesus comes back would be great, but um, we'll probably one day retire. And so if we have one local group, when we leave, there's a strong group, but there's just one. But if we can plant this and plant the seeds and plant the vision on a national level, then when we leave, there could be hundreds of groups spread across Italy that don't depend on us being here, and they'll continue on for many generations after we're gone. And that's our that's our hope and our prayer, and that's why we decided to to submit to the national church rather than trying to go the parachurch um, route. Which, again, for those that have that model, that's that's fine. Everybody makes their own decision. But that was our conscious decision when we mm-hmm. uh, when we shift. Yeah, if you were, um, no, I'm hoping that maybe people will be listening to this, maybe even um, pastors of churches who are considering starting a university ministry. What would you say to those pastors? The benefit it is of having a university ministry based out of their church. There's a lot of benefits um, for for on a pastor's level. Because as, um, well, as I mentioned uh, just a little earlier, in our local church here, um, the entire youth leadership team are all students that we've mentored. Mm -hmm. And so from the pastor's point of view, he now has, uh, I think there's 10 or maybe 12, I can't remember the exact number, 10 or 12 solid um, youth leaders that help him, that help him to take... um, to, to advance the vision of the church as a whole, right. but they all have come from the student ministry group. And so basically dependable workers uh, is okay. one benefit. And not that, because we have seen uh, in the past um, churches that that was their main goal. Is they wanted a student ministry just so that they would have more workers in the church. And I don't think that's necessarily the right attitude to have um, is because in, in that situation in that particular situation um it was almost expected that they were um free labor for the church and that's not the right attitude to have either but when you get students and young people that are um that are committed they're solid in their faith they have a desire to serve the lord then even if they're not doing it in student ministry even if they graduate and they you know um, get a normal job and they're not doing student ministry they're still going to be the people that volunteer and show up, you know, when you've got to move chairs around or when you've got an evangelism to do, or uh, like this weekend, um, our church here at the end of the, the COVID thing, or I don't know if the end, but <laughs> in the middle of the COVID thing, um, we're having two services and we have to um, sanitize and clean the sanctuary between the two services. It's these youth leaders that are the ones that are going to go through and sanitize all the chairs and clean the church. Um, and so that is not student ministry, but yet the pastor himself couldn't clean all of the chairs in, you know, between the two services. Um, and so the workers in the church are people that have come through the student ministry and the student discipleship that we've been doing the last few years. So that definitely is a benefit to the pastor. And also the if you live in a university city um, that has a campus, it doesn't even have to be a large campus. Our city does have a fairly large campus, but we know of um, other cities that they have small 
small universities. They may only have five or eight or 10,000 students. And so it's not, they're not huge, you know, 60 or 100,000 or 50,000 members, you know, students. Um, but even in places like that, it's also a mission field that is all, because when you, when you do evangelism, sometimes you might be talking to a 12-year-old or sometimes you might be talking to an 80-year-old. And there too, you have to adapt your message to, you know, based on those situations. But specifically focusing on the university is a very tight group of people that are all about the same age, about in the same stage of life. There, some of them have left home, some of them are still living at home, um, but they're all in that phase of life of learning and growing. Mm-hmm. And so you, so it's a field where you can focus specifically on that group. And it's also a time when young people are are searching who they are in themselves. So it's, in my opinion, a very fertile mission field. Because, and, and this is not to say not to evangelize other people, but uh, a kid of 10 or 12 years old, you know, and I value student, children's ministry, so I'm not saying not to do children's ministry, but sometimes they'll accept whatever just because they're used to being obedient and doing whatever they're told. Or if you get up to somebody that's, you know, in their 60s, 70s, 80s, they're retired, they're pretty much set in their life and in their ways and isn't interested in changing anything. But the university age, and again, not that you shouldn't evangelize those people too, but but the university age is when young people are opening their minds to receive. They're wanting to receive from their professors. They're wanting to grow in wisdom. They're wanting to grow in knowledge. And so it is a very fertile mission field that besides the part from growing your church, because obviously you would want them if they, you know, come to know the Lord to be members of your church or to become active participants in your church. But besides that, as Jesus gives us the, you know, in the great commandment to go and to preach the gospel, and that's the the duty, the responsibility of every church. And so this is, in my opinion, a very fertile area where the church can put just a little bit of effort and possibly see a lot of reserve, a lot of results, um, a lot of return on investment, I guess, if you want to, if you want to put it that way. Not that it's all economic, but uh, a place where people are open to receive the message, a message of some kind. Um, And so that as well is a very fruitful area, in my opinion that a church could concentrate to see souls added to the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. Great. Um, And on the other hand, what would you advice would you give to uh, someone who's wanting to start an SFC group in a university town, a new university with regard to working with a local church, what should they do? Well, my, uh, again, this is our, our experience and we, you know, the Lord placed us in the, in the right place. Uh, It's no accident that we wound up here. Um, And so a lot of it has to do with being obedient to where the Lord wants you to go um, is, is a first and that's for anything in life, I suppose. So, Um, but my, uh, a few points of advice would be not to try to do anything from, this is from a person wanting to start a student ministry um, in connection with the local church. And so from the, the student ministry po- point of view and not the pastor's point of view. But my, my advice would be not to try to do things in secret 
not to try to sneak around and do things without the pastor knowing. So be very upfront, be very honest and open um, and go first to the pastor and say, we have a desire to reach out to the university. And these are some ideas that we have. Do we have your blessing and support for that? And so even if the pastor of the church is not directly involved, um, because from a, from a pastor's point of view, when all of a sudden, and, and this has happened to us here where there were other student ministries uh, in our town, that all of a sudden students in our church started saying, oh, yeah, I went to this group or that group, and the pastor has no idea what these things are. And so then that, even if it's a good thing, then that our pastor, in any way, this is our, our specific experience, um, he, they, this group, regard, without knowing anything about it, already started with in a negative territory as far as he's concerned, because they were doing things that he wasn't aware of. They were trying to, to touch and talk to people from his congregation, because you know, the Bible gives us all the time the example of a pastor, of a, of a shepherd taking care of she It's the same word in Italian. Pastor is shepherd and actual yeah. pastor. So, you know, shepherd taking care of sheep and how a shepherd watch out, watches out for his sheep. And so from his point of view, as the shepherd of these people, he's got people that are trying to take his sheep into places that he doesn't know where they're at or what they're doing or what they're talking about. Um, and so from a pastor's point of view, um, definitely don't go behind his back and try to try to be sneaky. Don't try to arrange groups and do things that he's not aware of. Now, it may be, as, as happened with us, that you have some ideas and you think they're great ideas and the pastor tells you no. Um, well, then that would be the point to make the decision. Am I going to stick with the national church or are we going to do more the parachurch model or, or some other model perhaps? Um, but if you desire to work with the national church, you definitely need to include the pastor in your planning. And or in your uh, again, let him know. And it could be there is a group here in Italy that did that, and the pastor was a hundred percent for it. And that's one of the strongest groups that we have in Italy because the pastor was behind it. He got the youth pastor behind it, and so the group is going very well. Um, and so it could be that the pastor says, "Yeah, I would love to do that. I just don't have the the time or the energy or the resources to do it. So you go do it with my blessing. Just keep me informed." Um, or it could be that he um, changes your program and says, well, that's a good thing to do, but I don't want you to do it this way. Let's try it another way. So then, again, you have to decide um, what what model um, you, you're going to do and which way you're going to go. But And also try not to conflict with the church's schedule because if you schedule uh, your – if you do a small group meeting, for example – and you schedule it on Wednesday night when your church has a Wednesday night prayer meeting, that is not in your favor. That's a, definitely a negative thing. So take into account the entire church church program and not just think, oh, yeah, for our students, this would be a great thing to do. But if it conflicts with other church activities or things that are already going on, then that, too, for one, is not going to go set well with the pastor unless he tells you. Well, the Wednesday night meeting is mostly for the elderly in our church, and so you're free to do a Wednesday night meeting for the young people, too. The pastor says that. That's fine. Um, but again, you need to ask first. Um, but try not to conflict. Don't put your main meeting on a Sunday morning during the Sunday morning church service. You know, yeah. That sort of thing. Yeah. 
Wow, Chris, that's been some really good practical and some very good strategic thoughts about um, working alongside a local church. And I'm very thankful for that. I think we're going to leave the uh, interview here and maybe people will have some comments when they hear it and they'd like to ask more questions um, or anything like that. But it has been great talking to you. It's been awesome to have you as our guest on the first SFC Europe podcast. And thanks so much for spending time with us and sharing with us. Well, thanks for the invitation. It was my pleasure. Great. Thanks so much. It's been great having Curtis share with us about ministry among the local church and in Italy. Thanks so much. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Again, uh, let us know if you have any questions, if you'd like to have a different topic, and we would love to hear your feedback. Thanks so much and have a wonderful, blessed day.